And we say to the Lord. Amen. I'm going to let you have your announcements. How about that? Well, I'm glad to be here with you here with you today. Did I say that right? <laughs> glad to be with you here today. Here with you today. There we go. I got the words. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, we you know, I was kind of told that the first crowd was not that, you know, active or vital, you know. I mean, that you guys were the noisy bunch. But I think I think you got some competition today. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, uh, it's a real honor to be here and to be in the pulpit today. Um, your pastors, Kevin and I, have known now for thirty years, and uh, they have been on our board. Pastor Daryl's been on our board for many years, most of that time, and uh, they have supported us around the world, around the globe. And they are quality people. You are blessed to have people of faith of this caliber that bring to you and deliver to you a word that you can be confident is life transforming. And not only for your life, but for your family and for your community. Amen. So, Lord, we thank you for Pastors Daryl and Lisa right now. They are out and they're having, they're with family. We just thank you, Lord, for a refreshing coming over them, a strengthening, and just touch their hearts, Father, that they might experience some of their, their very heart's desires in Jesus' name, and the whole family. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, for those of you who do not know us, we are, I, uh, my husband and I started Christian Adventures International together when we got married on October 8th. Actually, we started before that because we courted in Costa Rica living with a missionary family in June. I think we were there June and July of 2008. But we were married October 8, 2000, not 8, 1998. Oh, I'm lost. <laughs> Hello. We were married. See, hey, anybody who's been married more than 10 years? I mean, it's like the first 10, it was a mountain. Will you ever get there? You know, and after you hit that first 10, you're like, golly, it's 30. When did that happen? <laughs> and then some of you are going to say, it's 50 now. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. It goes fast. I mean, 30 was like, we're here. We hit 25, and that was kind of like, well, 25 is good. And then I blinked, and it's 30. I don't know what's going to happen when 50 comes. <laughs> you fall, you, know, you sleep, and you wake up the next morning, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, this fall, uh, Kevin and I will celebrate 30 years of ministry together. And we will also celebrate, many of you don't know what we have done, but we, uh, and this church has been very much a part of it, we initiated what we call the tent, the 100 tent project for Eurasia. And so we have built 60 tents in our own workshop or tent factory, if you want to call it, over in Russia. And in November 9th through the 18th in Daytona Beach, Florida, we are launching Tent Nation USA. Yeah, it is a hallelujah. And what's going to happen is our teams are coming from Russia and different parts. We have a few teams coming. And they are bringing tent number 100 of the 100 tent project built in Russia to the United States to dedicate for the harvest of America. <laughs> Hallelujah! So we're excited about that. 
Uh, and if you uh, if you happen to read online, um, you can go to you can go to my Facebook. You can go to Tent Nation Facebook, and you can check out some things. And uh, Charisma's just run an article. They ran an article on that project in 2001, and they're running an article this week about what's happening in America and the completion of what's happened in Russia. So if you go online, you'll be able to type Tent Nation in and find out what's happening. So I have a short video we'll show you, and then we'll share a little bit more, and then I'll get into the message. The 110 Project. Partners, thank you. You've made it a reality. Why is that significant? And what is its importance to the globe? And as we look across the horizon of 2018, we understand we're just getting started. Every nation of Europe needs a tent. Every state in the United States needs a tent. And together we can place hundreds of tents into these vast territories. You might ask somebody in their 50s or in their 60s, what do you know of the tent revivals? They're going to tell you names like Oral Roberts, T.L. Osborne, Billy Graham, many names that were involved in a mighty tent move across America. We're no longer in that hour. That generation has passed on. And today there is a young generation. They have a desire and a passion to get outside the four walls of the church and to take good news to their generation so they're ready. And I'm expecting America to have a new generation because the generation that now exists, the young generation, has never seen it like that before. And it will happen again. Every generation must have a visitation of good news. This is the hour for America again. Faithful partners, as we approach this first milestone of 100 tenths, we say thank you. We could have never done this without your participation. We are a team. Thank you for joining us, being with us. Come on, let's run together. We can do it. Well, we thank you. We thank the church for its partnership, and we thank many of you. You've been partners and continue to stand as partners with us over the years, and we thank you for that. It takes a lot of hands to get a lot of good things done. Amen? As you are well aware of that here in your community. Wow, we lost some lights? or Uh-oh. Okay. They're warming up. Okay, good. Just so you can see your Bibles, right? Or maybe you don't want to see your Bibles. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, you do. So what is Tent Nation? Tent Nation is placing uh, 50 tents in the 50 United in 50 states and training 50 teams. Now, when I think about doing things with the Lord, I always think about strategies. That's just the way that we've, uh, I've, uh, the Lord made me. He made me a person who thinks in terms of strategies. We are a part of an organization. We helped found an organization in Russia that has close to 3,000 churches today. And so we were, we were a part of bringing that organization together, establishing it. And then, of course, we kept going on to the different nations. But why is that important? Because every region of those ex-Soviet territories, every region of Russia deserves to hear the good news. But I'm here to announce something to you today because as we announced Tent Nation USA, someone said to me, well, why do we need tents? There are 400,000 churches in America. And I said... 
Well, if we look at the decline in the state of things in America, I have a question for you. If we have 400,000 churches, I think we need to expand our strategy just a little bit. Amen? So here's what I like to say about what Tent Nation is. Someone might say, oh, tents. We've had those before. Those are a things of the thing of the past. And I've heard people say that. Well, my granddaddy did a tent, and I've got a tent over here, and we do tent ministry, and we've had tent ministry there. Wonderful. Let's do a whole lot more. But I'm looking to strategically connect evangelists, tent leaders, missionaries, young people across all 50 states of the United States, including Puerto Rico and Guam. Because this is the finest hour for the United States of America. And the tent is a church without walls. You probably were not expecting this this morning, were you? (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) A tent is a church without walls where individuals feel the liberty to come and go as they wish. It's an open experience of the living Jesus. And it does not require that you know the club rules. Kevin likes to say this. You know, we've got some friends right now. Let me divert and I'll come back. We've got some friends right now that are preaching across Europe. They live over here in Europe and uh, uh, Orlando. Uh, Astrid and uh, Sony, the McQuinzies, they're tremendous preachers from the Congo, and they are preaching all across northern France. They took their kids over this summer, and you know, there aren't any churches in most of these towns, and if there is a church, maybe they've existed for 30 years, and they have less than 25 members, and they're afraid to get outside and to do anything different. So Sony says, we're going from town to town in northern France, (laughs) and we're, the bar owners, they're not afraid of us. So we go into these towns, we go into the bars, and we hold services, and we preach the gospel. He said some of the traditionalists are a little bit of afraid, or they may not even have anything, a community center or anything else in a town. But every one of those towns has got a bar. And he said, and we're preaching the gospel in those bars. They're coming to Christ. They're getting healed, and they're following us from town to town. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me? I shared this in the first service, you know, sometimes we get hung up on the fact, well, those are, it's a bunch of sinners over there and we're the holy people over here, you know, and how, how can sin and holiness mix? Well, they don't mix. Holiness drives out sin. When the presence of Jesus manifests, things change. The atmosphere is different. We're not afraid. I used to pray for these young people over in Russia. They'd come up to me and they'd say, Sister Leslie. I got a devil. Or they'd say, Sister Leslie, when I go to work, I can feel the devil. They don't get a very good response out of me for prayer. They usually get my finger pointed in their chest, looking in their eyeballs. And when they say, I feel the devil, I say to them, I see Jesus. And they just keep looking at me. But I feel, and I see Jesus. You're lucky I'm not pulling on the people in the front row here. <laughs> As normally I do. <laughs> lucky blessed. Excuse me. You're blessed. But those fingers in that, you know, in that uh, chest. And remember this one young man, I just kept looking at him. And I said, you are, bl- I see Jesus. You are blessed. So I think I'm walking him 
across the whole front of the church saying, I see Jesus. Finally, he stopped. He looked up at me. He looked in my eyes and he says, I see Jesus. (laughs) I don't need to be prayed for. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive and he's in our midst. And when we go out among, and this church is known for its works out in the community. You're reaching people. You're bringing them to Christ. You're getting them delivered and saved and set free. Lives are being changed. The community is being changed. And it's just the beginning. Hallelujah. Amen. So a tent is a church without walls. We like to say this. Tent Nation is not just preaching the club of the church. But Tent Nation is an open demonstration of the Christ culture, of the reality that when Christ moves into our community, he moves in through miracles. He moves in through good news. He moves in through bright, colorful festivals and life and opportunity to experience God. Amen? Amen. That's what we say in Russia. (laughs) Amen. 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 So in 30 years, Kevin and I have never focused on the United States of America. I must tell you that in 30 years, 65 nations in 30 years, we've spent most of our time overseas. But in January, January of 2016, I was attending a minister's conference. There were thousands of ministers in the room I feel like I want to say I told this story in the earlier service, but I don't need to say that. I just need to act like you're all fresh. (laughs) You're all new. (laughs) So in January 2016, I was uh, in this minister's conference, and this preacher got out, and he started talking all about um, the, the Jesus movement, the hippie movement, how the hippies were coming to the Lord during the Jesus movement. You know, their psychedelic rainbow hair and shirts and their blue jeans and all this stuff. And everybody's laughing. But as he speaks, I hear the Lord say, clearly, there's a new Jesus movement coming to America. And then I heard him say, and it's not like anything America has ever seen before. You see, I've lived through an awakening Okay, I know what an awakening is. An awakening is when an entire generation simultaneously opens up to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is not revival. And in fact, revival is for the believers. Revival is what happens in the heart of the Christians. Revival is what takes place within the four walls of this church. But we are crying out for an awakening and for the evangelist and the witnesses and the gospel communicators to rise up in this hour and take this gospel to a culture that is without God and in need of his love, his life, and his healing power. Amen? This is America's finest hour. And I will tell you this, having lived through an awakening, having, let's see, I lived there for 10 years and I do speak Russian. And I know what an awakening is. I heard the Lord say this to me when people began to declare that the doors to Russia were going to close. And this was in 1995, if you were born in 1995. (laughs) You you were born in 94. You just just made it. (laughs) But if you were born at that time, you know, um, the doors to Russia, the Berlin Wall. Do you like a little history? 
the Berlin Wall had just come down. Missionaries were coming into the ex-Soviet territories by the droves. I mean, we had so many missionaries, we were running into each other all the time, <laughs> living in particular regions because they would only let us live in certain areas. And, of course, we were going out to do ministry. But you could preach. We hopped off. We just came back from Belarus. We were in Belarus. Well, it's been a couple months now. But we were in Belarus. They invited us to come back. Belarus is to the west of Russia. And Belarus is where we set up our very first tent. So the churches of Belarus invited us to come back. We have not been able to go into the country for 20 years because the country has been closed to foreigners. Now, I'll get back to my closing doors in Russia, okay? But the church, when they invited us to come back to Belarus, we laughed because the last time we had been there had been with our big tent. And uh, it had caused some friction because even the president kind of got on the national press and he said, Find those people with that tent. You know, we don't want that tent going up anymore. Because so many people were coming to the Lord. But here's what we discovered. In 1991, we were there our first time. Kevin woke up in the middle of the night and the Lord said, go to the train station right now. There's a man that's going to meet, a young man that's coming to town and he's going to start a church. You go meet him and help him. He doesn't know what to do. So at four in the morning, Kevin gets up. He makes his way to the train station. And he could not speak Russian. So if you can imagine in that day and in that hour, there weren't very many people that spoke English and Russian in that part of the world. So Kevin makes his way to that train station, somehow finds an interpreter when he gets there. This young man, yes, said to Kevin, I'm planning a church. He said, how are we going to do it? Kevin said, let's buy a map. We staked out the city. We found a park. We went to that park. We got up on a rock. We started preaching. Thousands of people were turning out. They all wanted to know Jesus. It was a monumental moment in the history of that nation. Now, why do I tell you that? We continued to preach around the villages of that nation. And there were two young men that went with us everywhere. And they were our sound speaker holders. Okay? We couldn't set our speakers down because people would try to steal them. Or the drunks would try to cause harm to them. So these two young men would hold our speakers on their shoulders while we were preaching in the village markets. Isn't that cool? But listen. So we return, this is more than 20 years later because that was 91, but we return this year to this conference that was, there are just thousands of people there to learn this, that the man, the two men that held our speakers, one of them we knew, he was one of our leading evangelists, and the other is the bishop over 60 churches in that nation that started from us preaching on that rock in that city park. Are you hearing me? We serve an eternal, lasting, living God. And the seed works. And I decree and declare over the United States of America that our 400,000 churches come to life with the good news. That we arise in this nation and we place the good news in our mouths and we extend our hands outward to our communities and we decree and we declare that America shall be healed, America shall be saved, and America shall find her finest hour of destiny in the name of Jesus. Amen.
So one more story, then I'm going to get into my message. <laughs> but there'll be a lot of stories in my message, I'm sure. There always are. So back to Russia. So the doors to Russia had just opened up, and in 1995, they were trying to pass new laws in order to close the doors. And I was standing in my apartment on the 21st floor in downtown Moscow, and this will segue into my message today. And as I looked out over the city, I said to the Lord, Lord, I can't believe that the doors are closing. They just opened. And I heard this thought or voice, whatever you want to say, it was a strong thought that came and the thought was this, do you not think I have seen the blood of my martyrs? Do you not think I have heard their prayers? Do you not think I will have my harvest? And then I heard this phrase, command ye me the works of my hands. Out of the book of Isaiah. Well, that's all I needed. I went to commanding over Russia, over Moscow, over the nation that God would have his harvest. That the prayers of those who had been persecuted in the underground church and those who had suffered at the hands of socialism, we say they had communism. Folks, wake up! The Russians will tell you they never attained to the utopia of communism. They only excelled to the level of socialism. It is a lie. The few places that somewhat, some level of success in Scandinavia that people would refer to. They have great wealth that they've amassed because of oil and other resources that allow them to fund their systems. But most of the other nations... They don't have the resource. And it's not just that. When we were working, can you handle another story? Are you sure? We're working in Belgium as well. We're in Belgium. They say by the year 2020 that Brussels, the capital of Belgium, will be the first Islamic capital of Europe if something does not change. By the year 2020. We've been work that's not far at all. We've been working in Belgium. We've trained 400 young people. We're going back next year with a large tent in conjunction with the main churches of the nation. And we're believing God to put a stamp on the heart of Brussels in the name of Jesus so that Europe might be saved. Amen. The ancient prophecies say that when that Berlin Wall would come down, or they didn't call it the Berlin Wall, but when that wall would come down, there would be an awakening that would stir in what they, he saw, Hudson Taylor, in his prophetic words, as the western part of Russia. There would be a stirring. That stirring would come up out of, that awakening would come up out of Russia, and it would hit different parts of Europe. And in specifically, it's hitting France, and it's hitting Belgium. And Europe shall be changed in Jesus' name. We do not lay down. We do not surrender it. But Europe that gave America John Wesley. Europe that gave us Whitfield. Europe that gave us preachers. Europe that gave us missionaries. Asbury. Wow, this isn't even a message. It is? Are you all right? That's, none of this is in my notes. 
Europe that gave us Asbury. Wesley and his boys went back to Europe. Asbury stayed. Asbury lived in the swamps. I don't know, was it a couple, two or three years? Because he refused to take a stand with the British and he refused to fight with the Americans and he chose to take, chose to take a stand for God and for this country that it would be able to freely serve the living God. And he rode on horseback, outpacing those who were trying to kill him time and time and time again. He lived in the swamps, hiding to preserve his life so that he could go to the next towns also to preach the good news. This is Europe that gave us the gospel. Europe has given other continents the gospel. They say now the great global south is the missionary sending part of the world. What's the global south? Africa. We know several, we just, we know ambassadors and people in Brussels and we have opportunity to preach in wonderful churches. And as I stood up there and I looked across those who were there in one particular meeting, I heard the Lord say this, Europe is not the refuge for Africa, but Africa is the salvation of Europe in this hour. This is the millennia for Africa. And the Africans are preaching the gospel all around the world and all across Europe. The global south, Latin America. Do you know what I say? Come on, baby, bring the gospel. We need it. Catch on fire and burn. And let some of us more dignified people wake up. Amen. Hallelujah. So I have seen an awakening in Russia. And the prophecies say that it will move into Europe. But it says, mark the time that when it moves into Europe, and it's in Europe, Europe, it's moving in Europe. That when it hits Europe, from there it would encompass the entire globe. And then he saw Hudson Taylor in that dream. The Lord Jesus Christ return. You were born for such a time as this. You were born for such an hour as this. You were placed in this church as a privilege of the living God that you could walk with a pastoral team that believes your community can be reached with the good news. Hallelujah. That's a privilege. It's an honor that God would choose you. It is. So, I believe in January of 2016, I do get my stories finished. In January of 2016, sitting in that meeting, I hear the Lord say there's a Jesus movement coming and it's like nothing that America's seen before. Everybody else is laughing at the hippie hair and the blue jeans and I'm weeping because I have heard the sound of an army. I have heard the sound of the harvest. I've heard it. I heard it in Russia. I heard that um, just like the, the uh, Russians or the Chinese would do when they march, you know, and that, that click step. It's, 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 it's a shudder. It's a sound. It's a noise. You can feel it in the ground. Well, 
I've heard it in the spirit over the United States of America. And what is it saying? It's saying, get ready, lift up your eyes. This harvest is coming in. You're going to run with it. The harvest is coming in. The harvesters are being raised up. We're going to lockstep together and see America won in the name of Jesus. Amen. We don't need, <laughs> I was just thinking. No, no I was just thinking though. We've got, you know, Radical on both sides in our political arenas, all right? And what do we need? Healing. We need life. We need love. We need a message that will rise up like an Asbury who refused to stand on either side and determined to decree and to declare that America would fulfill its destiny and it would receive Jesus. Well, that's what I decree and declare in this hour, that anything to do with our politics, anything to do with what's going on in this great country would come to fruition to serve the reality that America is called to reach the world with the good news and within our own borders she shall be saved in the name of Jesus I've lived in nations folks the ambassadors talking to some people from the EU said to me there could be better no better time than to preach the gospel right now in Europe because we have no answers the generation that has wreaked havoc through terrorism in our own land. It's a generation that was born within our land. I know one of the ladies that taught the young boy that was the key boy behind what took place in Belgium. They had no idea that he had been radicalized. Are you hearing me? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can fill the void. It's time we arise with the gospel in our mouths. Amen. Like never before. So what is my message? Are you interested in a message today? So what is my message today? I might call this Christian Witness 101. Or we might call it Early Church Witness one-on-one, one-on-one. Or we might call it foundation principles to launching a earth-shattering, life-moving change in any culture. Amen? Amen? So where am I going to read? I want to begin with the book of Acts. <clears throat> My scripture will begin in Acts chapter 4. And it says in verse 29, it says, Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, and I know this church knows how to pray, but I'm expecting you know how to pray at home as well. Amen. After they prayed, the uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now let me, I want to give you a little backstory from Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. Why they were gathering to pray. Why they were seeking God in the midst of this scenario. 
In Acts chapter 3, we see one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at about 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. America, it is not silver or gold that brings change. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Open the eyes of those who lead in our great country to allow them to see and understand that it is the great foundations of the principles that were laid from the very beginning that give us and shape us into a reality of knowing the power of giving, the power of prayer, and the power of the local church. It's not just power. Really, power is not the right word. You know, we talk about power, power, power. But it's love, love, love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love is our motivation. Power is the Holy Ghost enablement, the dunamis of God. And then we walk over into the influence that he has given us through his name and through his presence. Amen. So Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped up to his feet, and he began to walk. We were teaching Bible school in Moscow, and Kevin shared this story. And there was an elderly grandmother, and I think we've shared this here before in this church, but there was an elderly grandmother that was attending our Bible school. Those Russian babushkas, they have got faith. <laughs> and so she left that class that day after she had heard this scripture. And out where we lived, there were about eight lanes right there in the highway. And she saw standing at the bus stop that there was a cripple who was trying to get across those eight lanes and push himself to the other side. She walked out into the center of the traffic, walked up to that young man that was scooting himself across the highway. She took his hand. She looked at him and said, do you want to walk? And the guy's like, what do you think? Of course I want to walk. I'm trying to get across eight lanes. And she just looked at him and she said, do you want to walk? And he says, yes. She said, in the name of Jesus, such as I have, I give to you. I command you, stand up with me and walk. She took that young man's hand and walked across the street to the other side. He was healed. Are you hearing me? Notable miracles will change our nation. Notable miracles. So then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when they all, when he went with them into the temple, let's see, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at all that had happened. So there's the backstory. The reality is they had, a prayer meeting had been called. And the scripture tells us that Peter and John were taken by the Sanhedrin and by the council. That Sanhedrin was comprised 
This is important for this story because you, you see something that was happening. Why was the persecution so strong against Peter and John when this happened? Because that Sanhedrin was comprised of a majority of Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection power or the resurrection period. They did not believe in this ethereal, supernatural world. The Sadducees, were, they were bound to the scriptures and to the natural things concerning God. But now here were two men. And the scripture says that it was obvious when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they, were, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, but they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. You know, I read after one author and he said this about that scenario. He said, they called them unschooled and unlearned men, but they had just attended the greatest seminary that would ever exist on earth as they walked with Jesus for three years and then they saw his resurrection and they received his commission and his power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does that mean for you and I? Remember I told that little young man, he says, I feel the devil. And I said, I see Jesus. Put your shoulders back, lift up your head and stand tall. Because the same power which split hell wide open and defeated every demon and took back the keys of death and hell, that same spirit comes to live in anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you and I can say, I am saved saved i'm saved i'm saved from the devil and his torment i'm saved from sickness and disease i'm saved from eternal judgment i'm saved from poverty i'm saved from fear can you say that say that with me i'm saved i'm saved from eternal judgment I'm saved from fear. I'm saved from poverty. I'm saved from sickness and disease. I'm delivered from every demonic power. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Hallelujah. Yeah, they had just attended the greatest seminary on earth. (sighs) Hallelujah is right. So they prayed for boldness. Three points about boldness. I enjoy this. Remember this. Jesus bought boldness for you and I. It says in the scripture in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14 that Jesus took upon himself every reason. This is my interpretation but you can follow up by reading in Colossians 2 and verse 14. But we understand that Jesus took upon himself every reason for the terror of God to be against us. The terror of God, the torment of God for the penalty of sin was upon Jesus on that cross. That cross, we don't have one here, but there we will make one. But that cross that we see on so many books and buildings and in literature or around people's necks when they're singing songs, you know. 
I always want to go up there and grab that cross and say, do you have any idea what this means? <laughs> you know, it's not that they can't wear it, but it's like, do you know what this cross means? <clears throat> that cross is where it all happened. It's where all time came together in one moment when all of the judgment and the terror and the, and the necessary penalty for our sin was unloaded upon one innocent who chose to take it for us. How much does God love us? Amen. You know, I shared just a minute ago about Sonny McQuincy and how he's traveling throughout Europe and they were preaching in the bars. And people say to you, well, sister, you can't go out among them. And if you're an alcoholic, you might not want to go to a bar. <laughs> but just think, Jesus ministered to the sinners. They didn't, they didn't respect him because he was unafraid of the sinner. And he was strong towards those religious-minded. So when we walk out of these church walls today, I'm so glad this is a wonderful congregation that gets up, gets motivated, and goes out and reaches though those who need to know the love of God. When we walk outside of those church doors, we recognize something. And this is another reason for the tents. Because that tent has no door. And my husband always says the devil loves to stand at the door of the church every time it's open for services. You know why? The devil stands there and he says, you can't go in. You don't know what they do in there. You can't go in. You don't know the rules of the club. You can't go in. You remember what you did last week? You can't go in. You're not good enough. You remember this? You remember that? And the devil stands at the door to keep us out. But that's why we have knowledge and revelation here in Apopka on Vic Road at Word of Life that we can take the gospel outside of these four doors, four walls, and we can bring the city to the knowledge of Christ. Amen. So I always remember, remember this one thing. There's only one difference between me and the sinner who's sitting in the bar right now getting drunk. Do you want to know what that difference is? The only difference is I've believed something that they haven't yet believed. For God is not holding their sin against them. But he looks down through the mercy seat and through the throne of grace. And he says, my blood, my son's blood, holy blood, forgiven, forgiven. T.L. Osborne used to always say, if you can get to me, if, I, if you can get to me, I can get you to heaven. Whoever sins you forgive on this earth shall be forgiven. Whoever sins you retain shall be retained. John chapter 20. What are you doing about the sins of those who are in the world? Do we retain or do we forgive? We have the power to bind and to loose and to bring life into their world. Amen. Christian witness 101, right? <laughs> Jesus bought boldness. You getting something out of this today? Jesus bought boldness. He took the terror and the punishment upon himself. But we also now know, according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, that we can with confidence draw near to God. We are not concerned. We are not worried. Even if we mess up or make a mistake, we can get up today. We can walk right into the presence of God right before that throne and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you. Your blood cleanses me and I am here in my time of need. And I receive boldness and I come boldly 
Remember that. They prayed for boldness, but Jesus bought boldness for you and I. Amen. I got a lot of finger pointing going on. I better change that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Number two, remember this, that the Spirit empowers us with boldness. We understand from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear. I like what it says in one translation in the NIV. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. I heard some preachers say that the name Timothy meant timid one. I haven't been able to find that in my research. You know, and he's much more scholarly than I was. So maybe he had access to something that I didn't. But anyway, if Timothy meant timid, Paul knew what he was saying to Timothy. God has not given you a spirit of fear. But he has given us what? A spirit of power. That is the dunamis unction of the Holy Ghost. That is the power that split hell wide open. Amen. And he has given unto us not only that dunamis power, he's given unto us the spirit of love. What is that spirit of love? That spirit of love is those martyrs that have gone to the cross in previous generations so that you and I would have a Bible that's been translated, that's been printed in the common everyday language. That spirit of love is in the heart of believers that are persecuted today around the world and they continue to stand and to decree and to declare His love. Are you hearing me? That spirit of love. We were driving onto a field in Cote d'Ivoire. There were a quarter of a million people on that field for this outreach. And as we're driving in my car, well, they're, they're driving me, you know, and I'm in the back seat. And I look out and I see an old man. He's laying on a mat. He's got what I would call a coat of many colors. So he must have been somewhat well-to-do because of the way his garment had been woven. And it was wrapped around him, but he was dressed in all white underneath. And he was skin and bones, and he was laying on a mat. When I saw him, my heart leapt out that window. And I said, stop, to the drivers. And the drivers said, no, you can't go there. There's a quarter of a million people there. You can't do this. And they, they, they call you fondly in those parts of the world like Mama Leslie. Mama Leslie, I'm thinking, you're older than I am, but okay, I'll be Mama Leslie. <laughs> now I think I'm probably, you can call me Mama now, Grandmama. <laughs> Dr. T.L. Osborne told us when we started the tent ministry that it, we, we would see it grow and we would see generations change. And he said, they'll, they'll start calling you mama and papa, but before you know it, they'll be calling you grandmama and grandpapa. <laughs> so I looked at Facebook yesterday and we were reposting some of the early tent photos and this family who had their children in the photo and Kevin and I, and they wrote on there and they went, three generations. And, uh, you know, they, they were going, grandmama. The, the parents and the grandchildren. And I went, there it is. He said it would happen. It's happening now. <laughs> We've been around long enough. It's happening. <laughs> in the ministry, you know, in, in life and in the, but in, in the ministry. So anyway, there I am in Cote d'Ivoire. Are you still with me? Do you know where Cote d'Ivoire is? That's the Ivory Coast, West Africa. Somewhere around Nigeria. A lot of people know where Ghana and Nigeria are. So I get out of the, so they won't stop the car. So I just start opening my door. I mean, I'm opening the door, and I'm moving to get out. And finally, they stopped the car. And I remember I got out, and of course, they ran with me. With, you know, it's funny. they got to protect you. And I'm thinking, these people are so wonderful. They just want to know Jesus, <laughs> you know. So I get over to the old man, and I just get near him, and I just said, I, I want you to know. And I had an interpreter. I said, I want you to know. 
that as I passed you today, the heart, the compassion of God leapt out towards you. And he sent me to tell you that you are healed. And he just looked at me and he sat right up and he started to get up. And I said, yeah, yeah, he started to get up and move. And I said, sir, I said, we're going to take testimonies later because I knew I could have a riot if that man got up and started walking. <laughs> I said, I know of a confidence that you are healed. And I want you to be the very first one up on the platform today to testify. I said, will you do it? He said, I'll do it. So at the end of the meeting, I think I, I preached that night. or I don't remember if I preached or Kevin. I finished preaching and I turned around and here comes the man with the coat of many colors wrapped. And he just walks up there with his cane up there in the sky with dignity walking across that platform saying I am healed I am healed they brought me here because they've said I'm going to die but I'm healed I know Jesus has healed me what did that oh it wasn't some great power it was some great love and in love is the key to all eternity and all of the power of Amen. We were in, the, can you handle one more story? We were in the Crimea. We were sending our teams out from the tents. They would go out and they would do street ministry like you do here. You go out and you do street events. What are we talking about? Let's go back. Yeah, we're talking about Christian Witness 101. And we're talking about how they had gathered together and they were praying for boldness. It says, they prayed, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. One, Jesus bought boldness. Two, the Spirit empowers us with boldness. Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. And I'll go back to my story, but it says in Jude chapter 1 and verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, we have boldness. How do you find that boldness? Praying in the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you do not pray in other tongues, I say, come on and get the best gift you can ever get. <laughs> After Jesus, of course. But the expression of Jesus through the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. I was raised in the Baptist church. I was raised wanting more of God, more of God, more of God, more of God, more of God. But I was 25 years old. I even asked my Pentecostal friends, what is this thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said to me, it's a special gift for certain special people. And the devil said to me, you're not that certain special one. Are you hearing me? I asked for it when I was 15. And I was 25 before I got it. I found it. And I had some problems along the way. Because I knew my life was headed in the wrong direction. So this is the place that you come. And you can get acquainted with the Holy Ghost. And the scripture says that he will show you things to come. He will bring all things to your remembrance. He is your comforter. And your strength. And Jesus said, it's expedient that I go. I'm going to leave, but when I do, I'm going to send you a friend. And he is that comforter. Amen. So Holy Ghost boldness comes through the Holy Spirit. Praying in other tongues. Building yourself up on your most holy faith. I shared in the earlier service that I had, I had this little pool in my backyard. It's an above ground pool. You know, we just put it in because Leslie likes to swim and loosen up from all of her travels and she likes to pray. So I walk out there and I pray in that pool and I'd had a couple of days off and 
I seemed like I didn't get out of the pool, but I'm sure I did. But I just kept praying and praying and praying. And then I had to go down to the hair salon and get my nails done. And I, I walked in. I was sitting there. And the lady began to tell me how she had thrown her, dislocated her hip. And then she kind of showed me where she had this big bruise. Without even thinking, I yanked my, I just took my hand around and went like this on the lady's side. And I went, you ought not to have that. In Jesus' name, be healed. And I gave my hand right back to the manicurist. I didn't even think. Are you hearing me? The Holy Ghost was alive and he quickened me to act. He's looking for vessels that he can be bold through. Whose voice are we listening to and whose voice are we responding to? Is it Fox News? Is it CNN? Is it the local weather report? No, it's the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. He speaks that only what she hears his father and the son say. Amen. Well, I went back into that salon a few weeks later. And when I came in, they kind of went, oh. And I'm thinking, okay. They came over and they whispered to me and they said, if she hadn't shown me what had happened, we never would have believed it. But when she came back the next day, She was completely whole. There was no evidence. Are you hearing me? In the book of Acts, they prayed for boldness. What do we do? We pray for boldness. We understand Jesus is our boldness. He purchased it for us. We recognize we engage in boldness when we engage with the Holy Ghost. And thirdly, we just simply ask God to give it to us. Our teams were in the Crimea, and they were witnessing, and they went out, and they had a little, um, oh, you know, some guitars and some music, and they were ministering on the street, and as they were doing that, there was a young man that was upstairs in a room, and he was crawling up on a table, and he was latching a piece of rope up into the pipes, like in here, to wrap it around his neck, and he was on top of that table, and as he jumped, he heard this music come in through the window. And as he jumped, the rope let loose and he fell to the ground. And he laid there listening to these words of life come in through the window. He got up, he put his jacket on, and he got a big knife and he put it inside the pocket. And he went down to find those people who were singing in the streets. When he walked up, it was Olga, I believe Olga was one of them. When he walked up to Olga, you know Olga, out onto the street... And she was playing, I think she was playing her violin, somebody else on the guitar. He walked up and he said, told him the story. Then he opened up his coat and he pulled out the knife. And he said, unless you tell me what reason I have to live. Because I was trying to take my life upstairs. I'm going to take my life. Tell me. I heard your music. There must be some reason. What is it that I hear in that music? And right there with the young man with the knife in his hand, they were able, it was a big one, to get it out of his hand. And right there in that moment, he gave his heart to Jesus. Hallelujah. They're all over Apopka just like that. I was um, allowed to pray or asked to pray for a doctor in Belgium. Not in a big meeting. I was just asked to pray for her. She had a terminal disease. They have no hope, had no hope for her. I've since learned 
And I'm going to tell you, I didn't run in there going, you know, full of faith. I just said, let me share this scripture with you. This is what Jesus died for. He died for you. Do you want this? And she said, yes. She received Christ. We prayed for her healing. And some other people are continuing to minister to her so that she grows in her faith. She's not quite ready because she's from another culture to go to a church yet, so they're giving her private Bible studies. But she's a doctor. She called my friend and she said this, because she's now back at work. She was unable to work because of the illness. She's now back at work. She called my friend and she said, you know, I've learned this. She said, Belgium is a wealthy country. She said, these women, they, she's a woman's doctor. They come in and they say to me, I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. I want to take my life. She says, well, I asked him, how's your marriage? Oh, it's wonderful. And my husband just bought me a brand new car. Because that area of Belgium is extremely wealthy. And she'll say, well, how are your children? Oh, they're making top marks in school. Well, how's this? Oh, everything's going wonderful. And then they look at her and they still say, but I'm depressed. And I want to take my life. She called my friend and she said, I've learned this one thing. She said, they don't need a doctor. They need a priest. That's what she understood, that it's a priest. They need a pastor. America is full of people who are self-medicating. Self-medicating to try to overcome depression, suicide, and fear. And you and I have the answer to suicide, depression, and fear. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or no woman comes to the Father except by me. I stand at the door and I knock. Can you say this with me? I, say it about yourself. I am the way, the truth, the life. If you can get to me, I can get you to heaven. I am the door. I open it. I welcome you. I invite you to discover Christ. I am the life because he's alive in me. And he can be alive in you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are you getting anything out of this today? All right, I got my story. I finished my stories, right? I'm caught up in all my stories. Let's move forward. So... They prayed for boldness, and that's what we do. But isn't it interesting that Peter and John had just been released from prison? And what did they do? I was reading this, and I said to Kevin, they just got released from prison. And I said, they went to a prayer meeting. You know, and I, I, I had this thought, well, they didn't seem like they were very fearful, you know, after everything that they said to you. I said, I don't think they went to a prayer meeting because, oh, God, help us. You know, I don't think that was the cause at all. Kevin said, no. I said, Kev, as I'm telling him, you know, he says, Leslie, he said, they went to the prayer meeting because they knew God was answering prayer. Yes. Are you hearing me? When you know God answers prayer, every time there's a prayer meeting, man, I can't wait to get to a prayer meeting. I remember before Hurricane Irma was moving Irma, the Russians call it Irma, you know, some of you have heard the story, but you know, we were praying against Hurricane Irma 
because we needed to get to Norway. And I remember when the Lord took us off in the spirit, groaning in travail for 45 minutes, and all of a sudden it lifted, and we all looked around, and I heard the Lord say, I heard these words, wrap your arms around the Bahamas, O Lord. I felt a love unexpressible how deep that love was for the Bahamas. God did not want the Bahamas to be wiped out from that hurricane. And then I heard these words, rebuke the spirit of witchcraft that is called Irma in through the port of Miami. And you guys, if you're, anybody's from Miami, you know what goes down in Miami. There's a lot of witchcraft in Miami from different islands and different backgrounds. So I can't tell you that I did anything, but we all just said in the name of Jesus, we rebuke the spirit of witchcraft. We break the power of the devil that's calling that in through the port of Miami. Well, you guys all know the story. That storm went around. It still hit Miami because it was a 600-mile-wide storm. But it didn't go in through the port of Miami. And had it gone up that east coast, it would have destroyed and devastated Florida. But, but God, but God, who has believers who know in whom they have believed and are confident that he is well able to even do super abundantly above all that we can ask or think because of that power that is working within us. You hearing me? This is our life. So they went to a prayer meeting because in that prayer meeting they were getting answers to prayer. I believe that America is going to experience answers to prayer like she's never had before and we're calling in a generation of people that do not know him to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you Lord we ask you are you with me for the heathen for our inheritance we ask you for every nation every tongue every tribe to experience the Lord Jesus Christ his compassion and his love in this nation in Jesus name from Apopka from this doorstep, from this house, from this church, in this community, all the way across America and throughout the earth in Jesus' name. Amen. They showed us how that we are to pray in Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. It says they raised their voices together in prayer to God and they said, Sovereign Lord, in verse 24, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And you said, Why? Do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. But the scripture goes on to say in the, the book of Psalms, he laughs and we laugh at destruction and we declare and decree over the United States of America. She shall fulfill her God-given destiny as a voice to the nations of the earth as the give, biggest giving nation in the history of the world. Amen. The leaders said in the book of Acts, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they said, what are we going to do with these men? You know, I mean, I have several more scriptures, but I'm out of time because think about it. Jesus said, ask and you will receive so that what your joy may be complete. Hey, folks, let's ask. Get to asking.
Let's get to asking. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Let's get to asking because it's his joy to bring it to pass. Whatever dream is in your heart doesn't come because you lay down and beg. The dream that's in your heart becomes a reality when you stand, when you decree, when you declare, and when you with boldness believe that all things are possible. Amen. All right, that was a mini sermon for somebody. They said, what are we going to do? I got it just a couple more minutes. I'm working on it. I got more in today than I did the first service, didn't I? I'm still not even very close to the last two points. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're just going to just let her rip. Here we go. What are we going to do with these men, they ask? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. Or you could say a notable miracle. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer. So they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Folks, I have literally seen thousands of miracles, amazing miracles. And I tell you, when we travel from church to church in America, there's something very insidious about what happens in America. You can ask a crowd how many people are sick in the congregation, and nobody will raise a hand. Then you can ask that crowd, and I'm not going to ask here because I know this is a different place. But then you can ask that crowd how many people are on medications, and over 60% of the hands will go up. Not sick, but on medications. Now, I understand that through the, the wonderful blessing of medications, we've been able to prolong life. I do recognize that. So I'm not cursing medication. However, what I am saying, let's get a biblical experience of healing for ourselves. So we, we will then go out and be the healers because whatever God does to you, he certainly wants to do through you in Jesus' name. So it says after further threats, they let him go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I want to say this to you folks. We need miracles. We need miracles in America. We are one of the sickest countries, and they say that upwards of 80% of all sickness and disease actually begins in the mind. It's a product of stress. This is one of the most stressful societies in the earth. But stress is stress wherever you go. Stress is relative to what you have experienced. My first time overseas when I went to the Philippines, oh, I was jet-lagging 27 crusades in 30 days. I didn't think I was going to make it. The second time I went, jet-lagging 27 crusades in 30 days didn't bother me. Why? My bandwidth of experience had changed. So stress is in relationship. Don't ever judge somebody to what you've experienced. 
help them find their way out through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We need miracles. Why? Everyone living in Jerusalem, it said in Acts chapter 4, knows they have performed a notable sign. We're starting Tent Nation USA in Daytona Beach, Florida, November 9th through the 18th, and we are walking the grounds. And we are decreeing and we are declaring notable miracles shall happen even as they walk onto the grounds in the name of Jesus. One miracle can turn an entire village upside down. Why do we need miracles? And I'm out of time. I can't preach this. But miracles, one, first, are proof of the resurrection. They are proof of the resurrection. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. 2 Corinthians 4, we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, and so I speak. And we know that the same God who raised our Lord Jesus will also raise us up. Hallelujah. We need miracles. In 1 Corinthians, he said this. Paul said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wis man's wisdom. No, but they were in demonstration of the spirit and of the power. So that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Say this with me. My faith, My faith stands in the power of God and in the reality of his resurrection life that lives in me. He dwells in me. I dwell in him. Together, there is nothing we can't be. Nothing we can't do. Nothing is impossible because we are a dynamic team in Jesus' name. Miracles also demonstrate the will of God. Don't have time to go into that. Oh, I wish I could. They verify our words. 27 deaf people were all healed instantly in Kazakhstan. The first one who came up to give testimony had no eardrum. This part of her head was indented. They had taken all of her hearing apparatus out of her ear, and she's standing in front of about 3,000 people. And Kevin had said to that crowd, if this healing, if God will do something and it satisfies you, will you receive Jesus? And they said, yes. And he asked them again. He said, well, now I'm going to pray for the deaf. So they prayed. 27 deaf people were instantly healed, and a woman without an eardrum was hearing. Tell me how that happens. I don't know except for God. Are you hearing me? Miracles verify our words and miracles answers, answer the people's needs. Oh, notable miracles. No, oh, we need to go. I'll just share this. A notable miracle became a witness to an entire region. This is the essence of evangelism. What makes our Christianity different from every other faith? Our Jesus is alive. Our Jesus is unique. When you look over the ancient history and you look into the graves, you can find the bones of the other great philosophers in the earth. But when you look into the tomb of Jesus Christ, there are no bones. Because our Jesus, he speaks from beyond the grave. The other philosophers are not able to speak from beyond the grave because their voice is silent. But our Jesus speaks not only from beyond the grave, but he speaks from within our hearts. And he declares in a world that is dying and without hope, that he loves them, he is alive for them, and he will help them. 
Our Jesus not only said that, I mean, other philosophers, we're still, they're still begging and asking for answers. But our Jesus who came to live in us, who is alive in us, he not only lives in us, he also said, and whatever you do, I want you to know that you're going to do even greater works than I have done because I'm going to come and I'm going to live in you. Hallelujah. This is our Christianity. It is alive. It is unique. And it makes us a witness to this world. So I'll close with this. Witness, because we call this Christian Witness 101. When we look into Mark chapter 5, we understand there was a demoniac. It says of the demoniac in Mark chapter 5 that he had a legion of demons. Do you know that that's somewhere around 6,000 demons? That man got delivered. And then he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said to him, go your way and tell everybody about the great things the Lord has done for you. And it says in Mark chapter 5, he began to publish in the Decapolis, 10 cities, just delivered of 6,000 demons. Jesus doesn't take him with him. Because Jesus' mission was to come into the heart of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation to make a way for us, for the Gentiles to receive Christ in a day. And this Decapolis man, this demoniac was a Gentile. So Jesus sent the Gentile out to those Gentile cities. And it says that his, the fame of him, they heard about him Everywhere they went, he went, and they marveled at what he had done. I want you to remember this. It doesn't matter how old you are in Christ. Always remember the fresh feeling of being a new convert. For this man was a brand new convert, saved out of a horrendous situation, sent to minister the good news. He had not been trained in effective methods of evangelism. He only knew one thing. He knew what Jesus had done for him. Number three, remember this. Evangelism is not complicated. We don't have to make it out to be like that. Professional evangelist that can stand in the pulpit and can scream and shout methods of evangelism. And who has spoken to 250,000 people in different crowds. No, evangelism is as simple as recognizing that this Jesus who lives in you, he has a witness. He has something he's done for you. And you've got something that you can share with somebody to let them know that if he did it for me, He'll do it for you. Amen. And so on that one, I will close. Evangelism is more than just asking strangers a clever-headed series of questions in order to get them to encounter God. No. Evangelism is realizing that you have the ability to witness of all that God has done for you. So what happened in the book of Acts? They were persecuted. They were chased. They were having problems. But they knew this one thing. They would speak the name of Jesus. They would stand in boldness. And they would bring witness of Christ to their generation. Folks, this is the finest hour for the United States of America. And there is a generation ready to come in and to receive Jesus. And you can be the one to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let me pray with you right where you are. Then I'll turn the service over. Don't anybody leave because it's not dismissed until the pastor dismisses. Stand up with me, will you? Anyone here today would say, I would like to experience 
the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That I have not experienced that and I would like that experience. If you're here, if that's you, I would like you to raise your hand and just wave at me and say, I would like that. Anyone at all today here in the church, you would raise your hand and say, I would like to receive that today. Anyone at all? So then we would say, everybody here today, let's just all together pray in tongues, shall we? Let's just uh, lift up our voices. Father, I thank you that as we pray in other tongues, we are also able to interpret what you say. That you speak to us as we... Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now, if you noticed, I just began to speak. It was under my power and my control to begin to pray and to stop praying. And so you can do that yourself wherever you are. You just say, Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Ghost. And you start speaking. Kevin started speaking. He heard the Lord say to him, start speaking like a small baby, goo-goo-ga-ga. So that's what he did, goo-goo-ga-ga. He said he was at the university campus, so he closed every window, shut the door, pulled the blinds, made sure nobody was around as he began to goo-goo-ga-ga. But when he started that, goo-goo-goo-ga-ga, he just began to pray. It's forming words that you don't understand is where it begins. That's where it begins. Amen. Now, anyone of need, in need of healing today in the service? You're in need of healing. We have a hand there. Anyone else? We have a hand there. Here's how we're going to do this. We have a hand here. Here's what I want us to do. Okay, I want, I want us just to get around those individuals that raised their hands. Can we do that? I'm not going to break up the service and ask everybody to come down front. A hand here. And we have a hand here. Anybody else? You young men, you look nice and strong. Come down here and pray for this gentleman. You look nice and strong with this lady. Gotcha. Come down there and pray for that. For that gentleman. What about right here? Right here. All right, you look nice and strong. You pray for her too. There you go. <laughs> Anyone else have need of healing in the house today? Got one more. Where's the other one? Back there towards the door, we got somebody. All right, let's go over there. And somebody right here, wave your hand real big. Turn around. Not you, but the person, this couple right here, beautiful couple with the sunglasses. Why don't you turn around? There's a lady right behind you. She needs prayer. Lay your hands. We've got someone over here who needs prayer. Okay, I want all of us praying together in unison. You, are you ready? I want you to say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you are the healer. Lord Jesus, I know you live in me. I know you said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So in obedience to your word, right now, in your name, I lay my hands on this individual and I say, you be healed in the name of Jesus. Every ailment, every weakness, every proclamation of sickness over your body, we break it now in the name of Jesus. And we say, you be healed by the stripes of Jesus. 
Now everybody say this. Thank you, Lord. I am healed. Healing is mine. I receive it. I have healing. I have life. I take it on. I say it belongs to me. And I break the curse of sickness, of my family, of my children, of my home, off of my environment. I say no. In Jesus' name, he is Lord over my house and my family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, that type of prayer. Thank you for listening to this powerful message. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to www.wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.